Well, here we are in the book of Genesis, and uh, I want to tell you that here's the deal. We're gonna this today is gonna conclude this portion of our journey through Genesis. We're gonna we're gonna take another direction. We're gonna come back and uh, and and look at uh, we're gonna continue in Genesis, but it won't be about origins. It'll be about the patriarchs. It'll be patriarchs, pitfalls, and principles. We're gonna learn the some wisdom from their lives, but. We'll come back to them in a smidge. But, but uh, it's important that we look at... Uh, our, my goal was to look at the first 11 chapters and then today and see what... Because what, uh, the first 11 chapters and then the first part of 12 really set up the entirety of redemptive history. It sets up our worldview and then introduces God's plan for redemption. And that's been our part of my goal anyway. Genesis is our origin story, the story of our faith. And as we've walked through the first 11 chapters, we've seen, I hope, we've, we've listened to and got some good wisdom. We've seen maybe some corrections to a worldview or reinforced a biblical worldview for us. What we've seen so far, uh, beginning with chapter 1, is that creation is God's idea. It's God's idea, it's his design, and creation is just God's. It's God's. This, this is our Father's world. Creation is God. He's the owner, and he is the designer of creation. So he gets to say what, he gets to, the, he, he gets to say so. And, uh, and we should respond to creation like we didn't make it. We should respond to creation like, oh, I mean... You should, and I don't. I'm not a, and I don't want to offend or delight anybody overly here. But you know, I'm not what you might, what someone might call a tree hugger or whatever. But I guess because I've had kind of an aversion to, so we are not. Hear me right. Don't get upset. Listen to me thoroughly. We are, we as believers, according to Genesis, are not environmentalists in that we wouldn't, we do not, we do not uh, uh, elevate the environment as equal to humanity or above us. Nor, nor do we mysterize it like it's some sort of a uh, out of control thing where we need to invent ways to darken the sun in order to no nonsense. No, the, the God created it and then He rested it, letting us know He's got this. But it's His, and so hey, if you need a tree for for firewood or to build a house, that's all right. But otherwise, maybe leave it alone. This is what I'm saying. There's a there's a we should look in Genesis and see there's a balance here. That, hey, you know, creation is here for your benefit and for your usefulness, but otherwise treat it like it's not yours. When I was a kid, I used to walk, <laughs> I used to walk, I used to walk home from the bus, and sometimes the bus stop would be at crazy places. Like, like one time it was in our driveway. That wasn't a long walk. <laughs> but then sometimes it was like blocks and blocks away. And I was in elementary school, and, I, you, and this would be foreign to most of you now, except for some of you that are a little bit beyond me in age, but we used to walk places. <laughs> yeah, we used to walk places, and if you missed the bus, you could walk to school. And you could be like in second grade, just walk to school, like a couple miles. No biggie. You just did it, especially if it was, your mom was Gloria. Out. Okay, <laughs> there right. we go. <laughs> And you better hurry, because uh, anyway, but so, so I'd walk home, I'm just talking about creation, I'd walk home from the bus, and my neighbors, the, uh, my neighbors, they weren't my neighbors at all, but the people along the way would have nice flowers in their yard. And I thought, well, I clearly, 
should bring some of these to my mom. So it wouldn't be unusual for me to, hmm, yoink, hmm, yoink, yoink. And you know, I don't know that people appreciated that. Because it was theirs. Right? And so I, I just think about that. You know, when you're bopping along and you think, well, I'm just going to wipe out a bunch of trees or whatever. You know what? Why don't you simmer down a little bit and treat this place like it's God's? Unless you need it, unless whatever else. But I'm saying, so Christians can, can and must be the leaders of creation care. Sure. Okay, that doesn't mean that we're tree-hugging, worshiping rocks, that kind of thing. But we, we, what we're doing is we recognize that this is our Father's world, that He created this yes. for His glory, and we should honor Him and how we take care of it. But the bottom line is this, that the goal of creation, we see that the focus of all creation wasn't rocks or moons or stars or, the ga- or galaxies, but the, but the image bearer. Yes. That you, the image bearer, are, is, were God's point. Yeah. You were the goal of creation, the image bearer. You know, you can feel the room. It was like, you were like, yeah, right, let's take care of trees and rocks. And then I say that you're the goal of creation. You're like, well, I don't know about that. I don't feel very, and I know it. And that's the, the, that's the problem of the, the fracture. In the fracture and the fall is you've lost sight of the image giver. And the, as Ben and I were talking about, it's not that you, the, the sin did not remove God's image from us, but it's like looking into a fractured mirror. The image is still there. It's just been fractured. Still has the, we still have the capa- so, much, so much of the capacity and the calling of an image bearer. We saw in Genesis that image bearers are given opportunity and obligation, and they carry respect. That, we are, that, that God designed humanity to have vocation, to have purpose, to have meaning. That what we do with our hearts and our minds and our words and our hands is essential. That's God called us. We also saw that God gave us liberty and freedom to say, hey, uh, all the whole garden is yours. Just go about, take care of the thing, cultivate it, go wherever you want. And then he also saw that God gave the image bearer boundaries, good boundaries, in order to protect our liberty and our calling and our purpose. And that we were to live in honor of the relationship between image giver and image bearer, that there was a loyalty, there was a covenant close relationship there. And yet even that relationship wasn't all that God had because ultimately God saw that the only thing not good in creation was that man was alone. And that doesn't just mean that people are supposed to have families, but it means that people are supposed to have family, community, that we need to be with others and belong to and share life with other people, that glorifies God. That fulfills our purpose. And one of the last things that we see about image bearers is that every image bearer requires, it's absolutely divine law that every image bearer be respected for the image they bear. That we, that we treat people with a fundamental respect because they are image bearers, not because of their capacity, their ability, their appearance, their resources, their contribution. <clears throat> it is unique among worldviews. The biblical worldview is unique among worldviews in determining the value of humanity. Babylon's va- va- view of humanity is that human beings are their value is based on their appearance and their contribution 
And if you don't believe that's true, just think what you know. If you are if you are involved in professional sports or you're any kind of a celebrity, you are valuable as long as you can contribute or you look good. Beyond that, you're a has been, and in the worst sort of way. That's the way Babylon does it, or I would say contemporary carnal culture. Different world religions evaluate people on you know. Uh, they say that nobody has different value. Everybody has is meaningless. They're all part of a big non-existence. Uh, some world religions, you're only valuable as long as you submit. And only the submissive and the obedient have any value. And that's why the disobedient are infidels and can be either killed or made slaves. But Genesis tells us that you have intrinsic, divinely assigned value because you are an image bearer. Irrespective of your capacity, your appearance. And then when we get to Noah, we see that, that, God's, that God recognizes the value that the great equalizer, the great just equalizer of humanity is blood. Not, not our language, not our ethnicity, not the melanin in our system, but the blood in our veins says you must be treated equitably with respect. You are deserving of justice. But we also saw that the image bearer rebelled against the image giver and began to participate and engage in idolatry and immorality and violence. Violence is rebellion against the image giver. It is to attack When one image bearer attacks another image bearer, it is an attack against the image giver. Violence is so contrary. We also saw that man violated God's good boundaries. Man either pushed against them or or pulled them back in and restricted them. Man creates his own boundaries. Man says, I am God, I'll create my own boundaries. We saw in the story of Noah that the problem of sin is not external or circumstantial. It cannot sin can't be solved from the outside. We need a savior. Yes. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 explains this. The New Living says because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. I want you to hear the past tenses in that sentence. Jesus Christ has died and has broken the power of the devil who no longer has the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives, again, past tense, as slaves to the fear of dying. You no longer fear dying because Jesus said, he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. But chapter 11, really, in the events of the, ta- of the city and the Tower of Babel, really leave us on a... If we, left, if we stopped there, we were reading in real time, we'd be, we'd be left fairly discouraged the story of that city and tower and man's rebellion and man's rejection 
leaves mankind in chaos and confusion and the world is divided and further rebellious. Not only now are they estranged from God, they are estranged from one another and we are left in Genesis 11. Before we get to 12, we are left with this question, what hope is there for the image bearer? What hope is there for humanity? What hope is there for a people who live in conflict with God and in conflict with one another? What hope is there for a world so bent on destruction and violence and corruption? Is there hope? I I know better than to ask rhetorical questions about faith in this house. Because almost everybody wanted to put up their dukes. Michael first. Yes. Is there hope? Yeah. You want to fight about it? Yes. I'm... No, I don't, but I'm glad you already agree. Is there a way of hope? But, so the, but that's where we're left. That's the question that's asked in 11 really is what hope is there? And then 12 will introduce God's redemptive plan. This is God's hope for the planet. In the call of Abraham, we will see that the way to God's blessing is to follow God's promises. In trusting obedience. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. That's what they used to sing. We should keep singing that. But but we'll see today, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. There's no other way to receive God's blessing, and there's no other way for us to save the world than to trust and obey. Somebody say out loud, this is the way. way. Chapter 12, the first three verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Many commentators, and rightfully so, they want to slow down, and it's, it's good to do. Uh, to, and they'll talk about the progressive uh, er, uh, areas uh, that, that the Lord deals with. Leave your country, leave your relatives and your father's house. And they want to talk about uh, leaving those things behind and how the blessing of God will restore all of those. <laughs> he's going to restore family and he's going to restore Abraham. He's going to give Abraham a name and a family and make him a nation. It's really cool. Okay. That's really cool there. Like the blessing of the Lord that you'll never, you'll never give up more than God will give you. You're never going to do God any favors. Well, you know what? I've given it for you, God. Let's just hear it again. You will never give up more than God will give you. Oh, it's good to say it again. Ready? Maybe you want to you hashtag that bad boy out. You will never give up more than God will give you. So there's that part of it. And again, there's so much of this we could squeeze, but so much time. But listen, but the, but the movement of the verse, go from to the land which I will show you. There's a command here. You go, you leave things behind and go. Go to where I will show you. And what, what will God do? And I will, you go. In a sense, there's only one verb for Abraham. Go. You go, you do that. And, here, now, and then God says, and here's what I'll do. Here's a list. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. 
And let's just keep the, the I wills in there. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, or I will make you a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 12, the Lord initiates without any, any, there's no record that Abraham is a swell fella, that he's done, that he's earned any points, or he got scored bingo on a card or anything. <laughs> this is God initiating. Someone say God initiates. God initiates. Salvation is his idea. Yes. Saving you is his idea. Yeah. He originates. He offers a promise of blessing. And in this blessing... Not only do we see that Abraham's going to get everything back that he's leaving and then some, we also see that everything that the people of Babel attempted to gain by rebellion, God will give by blessing. He will make Abram a great nation. He will bless Abram. He will make Abram's name great. That's what they said at Babylon. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's do let's 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 be awesome. We're God. No, you're not. He will even, and then they said, let's do this lest we be scattered. But 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 God says he's going to protect and defend Abraham. And then he says, this is the part that it's this mysterious resonating thing. It's like Genesis 3.15. We hear something begin to rumble like the sound of dry bones. We hear something begin to rumble in Genesis that somebody's coming that the blessing of God is going to overtake this world. As we hear the Lord, the Lord says, he's going to make Abram an instrument, an agent of blessing to all the families of the earth. That what God initiates, that God is going to initiate, he's going to release blessing, and it's going to follow that law of physics, that something set in motion will stay in motion unless it is acted upon by an object of equal or greater force. And there is nothing greater than the blessing of God. God will set something in motion here, and Abraham will carry it, and he will pass it on to others. What happens is that God promises blessing, but it is contingent upon Abram's faith. Not his ability to believe, but his trusting obedience. I'll bless you, I'll bless you, I'll bless you. But what, what's, nothing, none of that happens unless Abe goes. Abram must go. He must, and he must, and his, his going must be total. There's no negotiation. Abraham will negotiate. When we get to the patriarchs, we'll look at how, God, how Abraham negotiates with God. But that's when intercession when he's pleading for, for the lives of other people. But when it comes to obedience, he doesn't, he doesn't negotiate. Well, Lord, how about I just leave some of the people? Or how about I leave some? How about I take some stuff with me? There is no partial obedience. There is only one way. This is the way. The Lord says, if you go, If you leave, if you go where I will show you. Do you hear that? Abram didn't even know where he was going. 
Well, where are we, well, 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 where are we going? I'll show you. That's called trusting obedience. Yes. Trusting obedience. This is the disposition of righteousness. Lord, I trust your promises. And if he will obey God, if he will turn and live in trusting obedience, God will not only bless him, but he will make him an instrument and an example and a, and a source of blessing for the whole world. Now, friends, I don't think there is a more prophetic word for today. Consider Abram lived amongst a land of confusion and corruption in Babylon. And the solution that God gives for the confusion and the corruption of Babylon is not conquest. It's not a raised fist or a raised voice, and it certainly isn't negotiation or compromise. It's God's looking for someone to bless who will obey him. And like Abraham, today the solution is a people, a church, who will not only say, but will show this is the way. It wasn't just Abraham's words, it was his whole life. When we look at his life to come, we will see that Abraham lives as an example. And everywhere he go, his life is a testimony, is a witness to the faithfulness of God. And people are either drawn to that or they are angry and repelled from it. But either way, this is the way. This is the way for people to be an influence, for us to be a catalyst for others to turn to and trust in the Lord. This is the way for us to trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus or to save the world. It's the way for Abram and it's the way for us. We must trust in God's promise. We must live in obedience and God will be faithful to bless. This is living by faith. And Abraham will continue to obey God and God will continue to fulfill his promise. This is a story now through Genesis. The remainder of the book of Genesis will tell us that there is hope for God's world through people who will trust and obey. There is hope for God's world through people who will trust and obey. The story will span generations of patriarchs. Abraham will say and show Isaac, this is the way. When Isaac says, but you didn't bring any lamb for the sacrifice, Abraham will show him this is the way. God will provide. And Isaac will sow in famine and he will redig the wells of his father and call those wells by the same name. It is what Isaac says to Jacob. Even though Jacob uh, is a bit of a rascal, having secured the blessing of Jacob, Jacob will turn to him and bless him and charge him to trust God. And Jacob will trust God to protect him and to prosper him. And God will change Jacob's name to Israel. 
and then Israel will tell his sons. Jacob, Israel, Isaac only had one rascal. Jacob had 12. But Jacob will tell his sons, this is the way. And we know that some of them wrestled with some stuff, but we know that they heard him because Joseph, Joseph will trust and obey even when he is betrayed and mistreated. When Potiphar's wife seeks to induce Joseph to sin, Joseph says, this is not the way. But when Pharaoh needs to understand the meaning of God's warning and dreams, Joseph sitting in a a prison could have stayed in his own resentment and his bitterness, but he knew that wasn't the way. So he stands before the king of all the world and says, this is the way. And then from a burning bush, Yahweh sends Moses back to Egypt to deliver the people of Israel. And Moses will come to them and be one of the chief voices to say to the people, this is the way. And the story of those who will trust and obey will continue through the exodus to the promised land through judges and kings and exile and the return. And it will come from the mouth of the prophets through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and Malachi, who even in the face of the people's rebellion and failure and sin, they will continue to cry out, this is the way. And let me say again right now, for the sake of record, if that, that anybody who is interested in prophetic ministry, it better sound like somebody is saying, this is the way. That prophetic ministry is always going to be calling people back to the covenant, calling people to trust and obey God. That is the voice of the prophets. This is the way. And there's no more louder prophetic voice than the person who every day of their lives and and step by step of their walk with Jesus will trust and obey. God's promise to Abraham will reach its great climax in Jesus Christ because Jesus will claim that he is the way. And he will call everyone to leave their ways, to repent and to follow him. And Jesus will promise abundant and eternal life when we respond to Jesus in trusting obedience as he fulfills his promise to us. This is evangelism. To say to a lost world, this is the way. Paul says, I have one message in Acts 20. Paul said, I have had one message. Everybody say one message. One message. One message. Started, it started in Genesis 12. I have one message for Jews and Greeks alike the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. Faith in our Lord Jesus not only means that I have confidence in what he did for me, but I follow him. This is discipleship. 
Paul will say in Ephesians chapter 4, listen to the language here, just a few summaries from Ephesians 4. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Walk this way. Verse 17, so I say this and affirm it in the Lord that you are to no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk. Walk this way. Don't walk that way. You did not learn Christ in this way in order to your former way of life. You are to rid yourselves of the old self and put on the new self. Aren't you glad? I am. I'm glad that sometime, somewhere, somebody said to me, not only said it to me, but showed it to me, this is the way. I'm not sure if I saw it or heard it first, but somebody modeled this is the way. This is what we say and show to others. This is what we say and we show to our children, to our students, to our women's ministry and our men's ministry. This is the way. This is the message and the example that we must give to every generation. Every generation, it falls to us to carry the message and to live the message, this is the way. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus, to be saved from sin and judgment, to have abundant and eternal life, and to offer hope to a corrupt and confused world. There is no other way than to trust and obey. This is the way. Let's sing that out. Lord, I give you my heart. Let me ask you to stand together as we close this morning in prayer. And if you're with us online, we want you to pray with us. Would you ask, would you just bow your heads, please, across this house? Again, we don't know much about Abram's life. The Bible doesn't say he was a super good guy or a super bad guy. And I'm glad because it doesn't matter. God still said, you've got to leave it behind you. Paul said, we have one message to repent from sin. It doesn't matter what you think your scorecard is. The only way for you to be saved from your sin is to repent and turn to God in trusting obedience. Repent from sin and accept His promise to save you. Repent from your sin and accept, believe, trust in His promise to save you. You need a Savior. And He is the only one. He is able to save completely to the uttermost. With our heads bowed across this house today, I just want to ask you this question. Maybe online you can respond too. 
If you need to be saved from your sin today, repent right now and place your trust in God's promise to save you. And if there's anybody who would like just to acknowledge that right now, just to acknowledge that in this place of prayer so that I can at least pray over you, would you just lift your hand in the room right now and just say, that's me. I need to be saved from my sin. I need to be saved from my sin. I see you. The Lord sees you. Others, take advantage of this moment right now. Be honest with God. I need to be saved from my sin. Lord, hear our prayer today. Lord, whatever our background is, whatever our situation is, Lord, we repent and we put our trust in you to save us from our sin. We trust in Jesus Christ to save us today. We give you our faith, and Lord, we ask right now that you would cause us to be born again, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would bring us into vital contact with your Spirit, that you would seal us with the down payment of our salvation today. Come, Holy Spirit. We turn away from sin, and we follow Jesus in trusting obedience. What about... Is there a way to save, golly, what about my marriage or my family? What about the circumstances I find myself? What's, how do I, what's, how, is there a way to fix this? Yes, trust and obey. Trust the promises of God and obey them. Whatever, if you have found yourself in any sort of a mess, there is a way out. Trust and obey. And you know what? For every single one of us in this room, the promise remains that God will bless you, that God will give you a family, God will give you a name, God will protect you, God will watch out for you, and God will make you an instrument of blessing upon this earth if you will trust and obey. Brownie.
Let's try this, uh, just a phrase from that old song as we close. Are you ready? I'll say, I'll say, and then you repeat. Ready? Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Can we give the Lord thanks together? Friends, uh, we want I want to bless you in Jesus' name. We want to say hello to somebody, visit in the cafe. If you'd like prayer for any reason, I'll stay behind, pray with you today, anoint you with oil, lay hands on you. Otherwise, go in the goodness of God, trust and obey.